Well, today as we begin a brand new year, I want to ask you a question. Do you believe that God can use you to do something like that's just mind-blowing, earth-shattering, world-changing? In other words, do you believe that God can really use someone like you to change an entire city like Harrisburg? Or maybe even change the entire nation or the entire world? Do you believe that God could use somebody like you? Now, if you're like most people, you're like, eh, probably not because, you know, I'm nobody special and, and I mean, I'm just one person. What, what could one person ever possibly do? Well, I love this quote from Helen Keller because, you know, the, the answer is, what can one person possibly do? And the answer is a lot. Here, here's what she says. She said, I am only one, but still I am one. I cannot do everything, but I can still do something. And because I cannot do everything, I will not refuse to do the something that I can do. You know, that's my prayer for you here as we begin this brand new year and this brand new series, is that whatever it is that God is asking you to do, that you would start to do it. That you would realize that there is truly power in just simply one person. You know, if you think about it, anytime God wanted to do great things in the Bible, I shouldn't say every single time, but like 99 times out of 100, God chose one person and then he used them to do it. For example, God wanted a, a nation to call his own. So he didn't get a whole group of people together to start the nation. No, he called one man, Abraham, to get that nation started. Later, when that nation of Israel was in slavery down in Egypt, he didn't raise up a whole army to get out of Egyptian slavery. No, what did he do? We learned about it last week. He called one man, Moses. And Moses was the one that led them out of uh, uh, Egyptian slavery there. So again, God over and over and over again uses just one person. There's power in just one person to make an incredible difference. And he still does it to this day. God uses normal, everyday human beings to make a tremendous difference in the world. In 1980, Candace Leitner's daughter was killed by a drunk driver. And she was devastated by her death. But instead of becoming bitter about it, she decided to make the world better, and she started Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Did you know that because of the laws and various things that Mothers Against Drunk Driving had helped to enact, that drunk driving deaths have decreased by 50%? One lady who made a tremendous difference. Or how about this? In 1982, a woman by the name of Nancy Brickner started a new organization because her sister died of breast cancer. Her sister's name was Susan G. Coleman. And Nancy Brickner, because she started this in her sister's honor, has changed what we think about cancer. You know, every year when the NFL, the, the players and everybody's wearing pink, that's because of this organization. They have so far in the, the uh, years that they've been around raised $1.5 billion for cancer research. And breast cancer uh, cases of it and deaths because of it have been greatly reduced. Again, because one woman said, you know what, I'm going to try to make a difference in this major, major problem that we have here in the world. Now, Mothers Against Drunk Driving and the, the Susan G. Komen uh, Foundation, you've probably heard of those things before. Let me give you a couple of examples of things that maybe you've never heard of. Uh, there was a young boy, his name was Peter Larson. And when he was just five years old, he uh, was part of a Cub Scout troop that went into downtown Minneapolis in December and spent a night in a cardboard box so that these little kids could learn what it means to be homeless. Now, that was just a one-time project. 
But little Peter Larson was so impacted by this experience that the next year when December rolled around, he said to his dad, hey, can we go spend a night in a cardboard box again? His dad thought he was crazy. But see, Peter Larson had an idea. He wanted to do something about homelessness in his city. Again, six years old. And so with the help with his dad, you know, they decided, well, let's make this into a fundraiser. Their goal the first year was to raise $500. They didn't meet it. They only made $100. You're like, well, that didn't make a difference, did it? Well, no, but something really had stirred in Peter Larson's heart. And every single year throughout elementary school, middle school, and then high school, during December, he would continue to go downtown into Minneapolis. And if you've ever been to Minneapolis in the winter, you know it's cold. He would go there and spend at least one night. And as he got older, he eventually got to the place where by high school, he was spending every single night in December downtown living in a cardboard box. High school kid. By the time he was out of high school, they had raised hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars and over 1,000 families were able to get off the street and into permanent housing. Because one kid decided, you know what? I have the ability to make a difference. Or how about this? There was another guy, his name was Chad Pergracki. And when Chad was 17 years old, he, he lived along the banks of the Mississippi River. He really got disturbed because he noticed all the trash and all the debris that were being dumped into the Mississippi. So at 17, he started writing letters to congressmen and federal agencies and state agencies just trying to have somebody do something about this. But you know what? Nobody did. Nobody was doing anything. And so in 1998, at the age of 23, he decided, okay, if nobody else is going to do something, I am. And so he started a nonprofit organization to try to clean up the Mississippi. Today, that organization has 87,000 volunteers every single year across eight different states. And they have removed 8.4 million pounds of debris, trash, uh, refrigerators, washing machines, car tires. People just dump things in the Mississippi. 8.4 million pounds they have removed. Because again, one guy decided, I have the power to make a difference. These are all ordinary people who God used to do extraordinary things. And what I want you to realize today as we begin this brand new series called The Power of One is that you have the power to make a difference in Harrisburg, in your neighborhood, in your school, in the state, in the nation, in the world. God has something special with your name on it that you can do to make a tremendous difference. Now, to help see this biblically illustrated, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 3. If you've got a Bible here this morning, Matthew chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, that's fine. All the scriptures I'm going to talk about today are on the program that you received as you came in. They'll be on the screen for you. And if you have a smartphone, you can pull that out and download the Version app, and there you'll find uh, the scriptures as well that you can follow along with. So again, Matthew chapter 3. As you're turning there, let me tell you about who we're going to uh, be talking about today. His name is John the Baptist. How many of you heard of this guy before? John the Baptist. Okay. You've heard of him before. Let me give you a little bit of uh, context about who John was. John was actually the cousin of Jesus. And John was the first prophet that Israel had had in over 400 years. What we need to understand is there's the Old Testament of the Bible, and God was speaking through the, the prophets and the priests and various people. He speaks to them. And then there's this 400-year period where God didn't speak. It's 
called the silent era, the, the silent period. There's nothing. And then we get to the, the New Testament, and it's John. He's the first prophet in 400 years. And here's what we read about him in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 to 11. It says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. In the desert, someone is shouting, Get the road ready for the Lord. Make a straight path for him. John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these were the uh, religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, it says, when, they, uh, when he saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing him, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think uh, that you can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the roots of the tree, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. If you're going to become a person that makes a difference, if you truly believe that there's power in one person, I believe there's four lessons we can learn from what we just read here with the story of John the Baptist. So if you're taking notes, the first thing is this. Number one, my purpose must be clear. Again, my purpose must be clear. In verse 3, John makes it clear what his purpose is. His purpose is to prepare the way for Jesus to come. At one point, after Jesus had sort of come onto the scene, Jesus was now baptizing people. And some of John's followers are going, hey, this dude's stealing your gig. Your name is John the Baptist. And now, you know, this guy isn't Jesus the Baptist. What, what's going on here? Should we, like, stop him or, or what? And John then says this in John chapter 3, verse 28. By the way, this is a different John that's writing here. This is the, uh, the disciple John that's writing about John the Baptist. But he's quoting John the Baptist there in John 3, 28 when he says this. You yourselves have heard me say, I am not the Christ, but I am the one who is sent to do what? To prepare the way for him. When you go to a sporting event, when you go to a concert, there has been a whole team of people that have come beforehand to get ready for that concert, to get ready for that sporting event. The, the stars of the show don't show up until the night of the concert or the day of the game. But sometimes weeks of preparation have gone into it. And John the Baptist is basically saying, I'm the roadie. I'm the, the guy that's, I'm just preparing the way. I'm on the tech crew. You know, I'm just getting everything all ready. The one who is coming later, that's who you should be looking for. I'm just preparing the way for him. What was John preparing him for? Well, he was preparing him for Jesus' new teaching. You see, John, in that scripture that we read there in Matthew 3, he was really on the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They, they thought that they were the, they, they thought they were it, right? They, they thought they were so religious, they were so good. And my first pastor, he used to say, here's the way you remember the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He said, the, the Pharisees, they were very fair, you see. You see, they, they thought they were better than everybody else. The, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in, in the supernatural and stuff. And so my first pastor used to say they were very sad, you see. 
They didn't have hope for the future. And so you had these two groups of, of ruling people, you know, the, the Pharisees that were so religious and so mighty and stuff, and then the Sadducees who had sort of no hope. And they had the, this teaching that, that wasn't just what was in the Old Testament of the Bible. They were teaching extra stuff. And so Jesus was going to come along and, and give a new teaching. And so that's what John the Baptist is doing. He's preparing them for this new teaching of Jesus. You see, the, the Pharisees especially, they stressed the outward, that it's what you look like and, and what you do on the outside, that that's what's most important. Jesus is going to come along and go, no, 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 no. It's what's going on inside you that's most important. The Pharisees, they, they were like, you know what? What's most important is the law. You've got to follow the law. Jesus was going to come along and say, no, 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 you've got to love. It's not, it's not about the, the law. It's about loving God. It's about loving people. So Jesus had this radical teaching, and John's job was to prepare people for that. Pharisees were about head knowledge, what you know about God. Jesus like, no, it's not about what's in your brain. It's about what's going on in your heart. So John knew his purpose. What was his purpose? To prepare people for Jesus' coming. That's what his whole life was about, preparing people for Jesus' coming. One man who made a difference. There was power in just one person. My question for you this morning is this. What is your purpose? What has God left you here on the earth to do that only you can do? See, there's something. There's something that God has for just you. Nobody else can do it. Only you can do it. What is that? What is it? You got to know it. You got to know your purpose. You got to be very, very clear about it. Now, how you answer what your purpose is, is oftentimes defined by how you view and define the word success. You think about, okay, to be successful in life, I would have to do Fill in the blank. Here's the problem with using success. Oftentimes, we'll use the world's definition of success in order to say, well, I've had a successful life. So what do we do? We say, well, to be successful, I need to have a good education. I have to go to college. I have to get a good job. I have to be married. I have to have kids. I got to make sure that those kids get on the right soccer team. I got to make sure that those kids get in the right college. I got to make sure that those kids get a good job. Then I'll have been a success in life. But that may not be what God is asking you to do to be a success in life. See, that's not your purpose. Those are things you, you should do, but it's not necessarily your, your purpose. See, it's possible you could have all those things. You, you could have the big house and the fancy car and the good retirement and the kids are, you know, doing well and stuff, and God still look at you at the end of time and say, you didn't do what I called you to do with your life. You didn't fulfill your purpose. Yes, according to the world, you were successful, but you never fulfilled your purpose. And so we can't start with the definition of success. We've got to look at what is my purpose. And then when we're fulfilling our purpose, then we can know whether our life was successful or not. Does that make sense? So John knew that his purpose was to prepare the way for Jesus. It didn't matter about all the other stuff in life. That was his purpose. And as long as he did that, then he was going to be successful. So 
again, start with purpose, and then it'll be clear what success looks like for you. So here's some decisions we got to make in, in life. Again, as a, a parent, what does it look like to be successful as a parent? Well, again, the world would say, make sure that they have all the stuff that they want, make sure they get a good education, make sure that they get in the right school. And again, those things are great, but is that really the purpose of being a parent, especially as followers of Jesus? No. What's our purpose as parents? It's to raise up, train up our children in the ways of God so that they can make a difference in their life. You know, if you're here today and you're a business person or, or you're a salesperson, what does the world say success is? A lot of sales, a lot of profit, getting awards, having achievements. But is that the, the purpose of being in, in business? That's a part of it. Again, nothing wrong with those things. But as a, a follower of Jesus, our, our purpose should be to, to do business in a way that brings integrity. That we don't have to cut corners. We, we don't have to tear other people down in order to get what we want. As a student here today, let me ask you a question. What's more important to you? Having a lot of followers on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat? Or having a lot of people that follow you to church every Sunday? See, your friends are going to say success is having a big social media following. But God says, no, 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 no. That, that's, that's not what success looks like. Success is leading people into a relationship with me. How about this with your neighbors? What's success? Well, a lot of people would say, if I have the best house, if I have the best lawn, you know, I got the pool, I've got the garden, I've got, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. But really, what, what is your purpose with your neighbor? To lead them in a relationship with Jesus. To help them discover their own purpose and meaning in life. So again, you can't start with the word success. You've got to start with the word purpose. And once you understand what your purpose is, then you'll know what success looks like. John the Baptist knew he could only be successful if he prepared the way for Jesus. Is your purpose clear? That's number one. Number two, my message must be convicting. My message must be convicting. John the Baptist's message was threefold. It was confess your sins to God, repent of your sins, and then be baptized. And it was a very, very convicting message for people. And your message has to be convicting. Now, let me just say this as a sort of side note. There's sort of a universal type of message that we should have, and then there's a unique individual message we should have. So, like John the Baptist, we should actually preach that same message he did. That's part of our purpose in life is to lead people to Jesus. So how do we do that? Well, by adopting the same thing he did. And, you know, we've got to speak the truth. We need, we need to do it in love, but you need to let people know that you need to confess your sins to, to God. You need to repent of your sins and you need to be baptized. Those three things. So all of us, we, we need to be able to have that type of convicting message. Now, again, don't be one of these people, you've heard me talk about it before, that you're just telling everybody how bad they are and you're standing on the street corner, you're John 3.16 shirt on, you're Turner Burnside, you're shouting about how everybody's going to hell. That's not how we share the love of Jesus with other people. How do we do it? We build relationships with our 
family members and our neighbors, our coworkers, our relatives. And in the midst of that, then we share what's going on in our own lives and how Jesus has changed us. And in the midst of sharing how Jesus has changed us, we say, I confess my sins. I repented of my sins. I got baptized to, to show that I'm on the team. I'm a part of Jesus' mission now. And so that, that's very convicting for people. So that, that's sort of the, the universal type of thing, but let's go back to your in, individual message. If you see something in the world or you see something in the school system, you see something in Harrisburg that really, really bothers you, that may be God saying that's what your purpose is. So here's the first question you've got to ask yourself. Is this really a problem? Or is it just an inconvenience? I mean, there's a lot of inconveniences in life, right? You know what I'm talking about? But it's not really a, a problem that needs to be your purpose in life to solve. So you, you first of all say, is this really a problem? If the answer is yes, it really is a problem, the next one is this. You ask, is God asking me to do something about it personally? If the answer to that is yes, then what you need to do is you need to figure out, okay, how do I talk about this? How do I, I get this message out that there's a problem here and we need to do something about it? How do I say it with, with conviction, with passion, that people see that, whoa, they're really into this and they're inspired by it enough that they go, I want to help you do this. Again, Chad Pergracki that I talked about earlier, just a young guy that was disturbed about the Mississippi River, but he started speaking with it with such passion, such conviction, that now 87,000 people per year follow this guy to go out and clean up the Mississippi. And again, you, you've got to figure out, how do I say this in such a way that it's not condemning, it's not putting people down, it's not a divisive message, but it's actually a unifying message that inspires people that, wow, this really is a problem and I want to help you do something about it. So once you find what your purpose is, then you've got to start figuring out, how do I communicate this with conviction and passion so that truly one person can make a difference? Because again, if it's just you, you'll make a little bit of a difference, but not a lot. You've got to get to the place where you're able to speak with such passion that other people say, I want to be on the team, because that's how one person now can change the entire world. That's how one person, like uh, Nancy Brickner, can raise $1.5 billion. She didn't have $1.5 billion to give, but she got together a team of people that has been able to do that through the years. Number three, then. My actions must be consistent. My actions must be consistent. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, John the Baptist says, look, you need to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Now the question then becomes, what does it mean to repent? And what is fruit? Well, we've talked about repentance a lot around here. And repentance, if you remember, is, I always say it this way, repentance means you're going this way. You were going your way. You were going the devil's way. And to repent means you do a 180 degree turn and you start going God's way. It's not about what you want anymore. You're now doing God's thing. You've turned. You've changed. If you've been lying, you don't lie anymore. If you've been cheating, you don't cheat anymore. 
If you've been being disrespectful to your parents, you don't be disrespectful anymore. Whatever it is that's wrong that you've been doing, you don't do it anymore. Again, as we've talked about before, repentance isn't just sorry that I got caught. Repentance is truly being sorrowful for your sin. There's a huge difference. All of us, when we, when we get caught in sin, all of us, we're, we're sorry that we got caught in it. But then many people just keep on doing it. How many ever gotten a speeding ticket before? Right? There was consequences to that. You had to pay money. You, you maybe got some points. More than likely, you were just sorry you got caught because within probably hours or days, you were speeding again, weren't you? That's not repentance. Again, repentance is when you're so devastated by your sin that you simply decide not to do it anymore. Not because you had the power to do that, but because the Holy Spirit is now living inside of you that gives you the power to say no. That's repentance. There's evidence of a changed life. And then that's what the Bible would call fruit. That other people notice your changed life. And they go, wait a second, so-and-so, they used to be like this. But now they're different. And it isn't just this, like, repentance isn't like this one-time thing that, you know, you, you change for a little bit. It's this consistent change that people see that, wow, they are so different. Something happened. And again, that's called fruit. People see the fruit of a, a changed life. And again, oftentimes what will happen is people go, I want that for myself. Because you used to be mean and nasty and miserable. Now you're not. You're full of joy and hope. And I'm mean and nasty and miserable. I want what you got. <laughs> or I used to see you were in addiction. And I'm in addiction, but now you're not. Somehow you got changed. How did that happen? Again, that's your chance to, to share what Jesus did for you. But people need to see a consistent lifestyle. Our, our Christianity can't just be a Sunday-only thing. It's got to be something Monday through Saturday that they're also seeing it. That consistently, you're not just praising God when Sundays roll around, but every single day, you're fully committed to Him. And again, that's what fruit is really all about. People see that you've asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, and you've given Him control of your life. Now, your question is this. What does that have to do with me making a difference with my life? And the answer is a lot. You see, again, people will not be changed and people won't get on board with your vision, whatever that is, your purpose, until they see you consistently living it out. And that has, again, not only to do with the Christian lifestyle, but whatever your passion is, whatever your purpose is, Again, cleaning the Mississippi, uh, dealing with an issue in the school system, dealing with some sort of health care crisis, the, the feeding the, the hungry or clothing uh, the, the, the poor, what, whatever it is, until people see that you're consistently passionate about this, they're not going to get on board. It's just like, if not, it's like, well, there's the flavor of the month. You know, last month they were concerned about this, and this month they're concerned about that, and the next month they're concerned about something else. No, you got to be consistent in your actions, and they need to see you consistently going out and doing something about whatever the problem is that you're trying to deal with. Again, whatever your, uh, the fruit is in your life, 
People need to see not only a changed life, but they need to see the changed priorities. That life isn't about you anymore, but it's about Jesus. And it's about whatever Jesus has called you to do with this one and only life you've been given. Now, to change your priorities in life, you need to do the fourth thing there on your outline, and that is my attitude must change. Your attitude's got to change. There in verse 11, John says, look, there is one that's coming after me who is more powerful than what I am. In fact, I'm not even worthy to bend down and take his sandals and then carry them anywhere. John realized that he wasn't top dog. He had a, a good attitude about it. In fact, in the Gospel of John, John chapter uh, 3, verse 30, here's what John the Baptist says. Jesus must increase in importance while I must do what? I must decrease in importance. You know what? We've talked about having a theme verse for life, you know, and many have a, a key scripture. This would be a good one. If you don't have one, this would be a really good one. That Jesus must become more important and I've got to become less important. Again, John understood his purpose in life. What was his purpose? To prepare the way for Jesus. And John knew that when he did that, that he was then going to take a step back, not a step up. In other words, when he had fulfilled his purpose, he wasn't going to get a promotion. He was actually going to get a demotion. In fact, John actually got beheaded for what he did. Talk about a demotion. But he was okay with that. He willingly and joyfully gave his life for the cause because he knew that I'm fulfilling my purpose and that when it's all said and done, I'm going to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and enter into your master's happiness. If life had been about John and what John wanted, then his attitude would have been way off. He would have never have done all these things of giving up his life, both literally and figuratively, for the cause of Jesus. And so my question to you this morning is this. What attitude adjustment do you need to make here in 2017? Where is it that life has become about you and what you want? I mean, if you're going to be serious about making a difference, not just in this year, but beyond this year, we've got to change our attitude. And you know, anytime we're talking about attitude, I think the, the absolute best scripture to go to is what Paul writes about in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and 8, when he's talking about Jesus, and he says this. He says, you, are you, you, right? You would be you, right? So he says, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Paul goes on and he talks about this a little bit more, and he's like, because of Jesus' humility, because of the right attitude that he had, because he decided to make himself less, because he decided to make himself a servant, a slave, God then exalted him to the highest place and he gave him the name that is above every other name. See, Jesus actually descended into greatness. Oftentimes, we, we, try, to, we try to climb the corporate ladder. We try to, to get a step up. 
We try to ascend to greatness. But the lesson here that Paul is teaching us from the life of Jesus is that the best way to become great is to become less, to step back, to humble yourself. What an attitude adjustment that is. See, God wants to use me and he wants to use you, but we've got to have the same attitude that Jesus had here, that of being a servant. And so you've heard me say this many, many times in the past, that the very best prayer that you can pray every single morning is, God, here I am. Use me. I'll go wherever you want me to go. I'll say whatever it is you want me to say. I'll do whatever it is you want me to do. It's not about my agenda. It's about you and your agenda. So use me to make a difference. That is the attitude that we need to have. On December the 1st, 1955, a woman named Rosa Parks got on a bus in Montgomery, Alabama. And when she was asked by the the white bus driver to, to give up her seat for a white passenger, she refused to do it. And thus started what we call the Civil Rights Movement. Now, how, how many of you ever heard of Rose Parks before? You've heard that name before, right? You're like, well, of course she could do something. She was, she's famous. Well, realize she wasn't famous that day. <laughs> and because of her actions on that day, a young preacher who had just moved into town not too long before that was so inspired by what she did that he decided that a part of his mission and his purpose was to lead the civil rights movement, Martin Luther King. Again, you're going, I've heard of him. He's famous. Again, he's famous now, but he wasn't famous then. Two ordinary people who God used to do extraordinary things. So you don't have to be famous. You don't even have to be overtly talented. You just have to be humble and willing and able. Actually, a a friend of mine used to say this. You need to be fat. What? (laughs) That's an acrostic. You need to be faithful. You need to be available. You need to be teachable. If you can be those three things, then God can use anybody to change the world. You heard some pretty amazing stories here today of ordinary people who God used to do extraordinary things. Mothers Against Drunk Driving, helping with cancer research, helping to clean up the the Mississippi River, helping the, the homeless in Minneapolis, helping to start the civil rights movement. Ordinary people Extraordinary things. That's the power of one. The power of one person. So you heard a lot of stories. My question is this. What's the story that's going to be told about you one day? Are you just going to go through life and try to be successful? Or are you going to discover what your purpose is? why God has you here and go out and make a difference. Again, not just in 2017, but beyond this year.
and maybe even an eternal difference, something that lasts forever. What story will be told about you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you've given us another year here on this planet called Earth. Um, we, we don't even deserve life. We don't even deserve our next breath. But it all comes to us because it's a gift from you. Because of your grace and because of your mercy, you allow us to, to be here. And you don't have us just as little robots. You have us here uniquely. We're individually created. And there's a purpose, there's a reason that you have each and every one of us here. Lord, help us not to, to live our 20 or 50 or 70 or 100 years here on this earth and not have fulfilled the purpose that you had for us. Help us not to get caught up in what the world says is important and trying to look successful the, the way the world would say success looks like. But help us to realize that success is only if I fulfilled my purpose. So Lord, help us not to just be little, little clones of everybody else. But help us to truly, truly seek you. Say, God, here I am. What is it that you'd have me to do? How can I make a difference here on this planet in the short time that I have? And Lord, no matter what that is, no matter how crazy it may seem, help us just to take a next step, whatever that next step may be. And help us to not only know our purpose, but, but then to be able to speak with conviction about it. And help us to consistently live out that this is what my life is about. And Lord, in the times that it gets tough, help us to have the right attitude. To not get discouraged. To not get bummed out as we see other people that are, are, are getting recognition and, and are ascending into greatness. Help us just to stay faithful to what it is that you've called us to do so that we too can hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant at the moment of our death. That Jesus looks at us and says, you found your purpose. You lived it out. There was fruit of life change in you, and there was fruit that your life truly made a difference on planet Earth. Jesus, thank you that you use normal, everyday people like the people we heard about today, Normal, everyday people that sit here, normal, everyday people that are listening to this podcast, you use us to make a difference. Jesus, thank you for that. I can't wait to hear the stories in the coming weeks and months and years of how you use this message to change the hearts and the minds of people. And then they went out and changed Harrisburg or their school or their neighborhood or possibly even the state, the nation of the world. Jesus, thank you that as each and every one of us do that, we can truly live up to our name here, that we are having an exponential impact on the world. Again, thank you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.